0: I always wanted to write a Christmas song, but I didn't want to write one of those Billy Joel Christmas album melodies, you know.
1: I think that was kind of a wank, you know. It's a, oh, it's a 1983 Christmas. <laughs> so I thought if I could just, like, add the element of Christmas to a song about people getting back together, and this, I think this was written... While I was still married to X1, (laughs) and I was, you know, hoping that that was going to work out. It didn't, but you always hope that it does.
2: Hi, I'm Alon Altman. And I'm Dave Juskow. And this is Billy Joel A to
0: Z.
1: everyone and welcome to another exciting episode of Billy Joel A to Z. Today, we tackle our third song in a row that begins with the pronoun she and our third song in a row about Billy's first wife, the good time Charlie, that is Elizabeth Warren. No, Elizabeth Weber, I know this time. <laughs> Although it could be exciting about Elizabeth Warren as well. This one's entitled She's Right on Time and it kicks off the second side of Billy's eighth studio album The Nylon Curtain, which came out on September 23, 1982. Before the song that at least contains the word Christmas, which is uh, Christmas in Fallujah, Billy wrote this song with a Christmas theme instead of making, as Christopher Bonanos would call it, an entire schmaltzy holiday album. Mm. Although this song was never released as a single, there's an amazing music video for it, which I had totally forgotten about. I mean, did you remember that, Alon, that there was a music video for this? Well, I
2: didn't remember because it's from before I was
1: born, but uh, I had
2: no idea. I was shocked. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: I, yeah, I don't remember it even being alive, but uh, uh, which was directed once again by the guy that directed the first music video ever, Russell Molkai. I think I finally got the pronunciation right. Now, Billy Joel himself says this. She's right on time is his second favorite song of all time behind scenes from an Italian restaurant. He said that only five years ago, a live version of this song appears on 12 gardens live. Duh. And the album version appears on the, you guessed it the my lives compilation album. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, Hey, so there we go. It's an interesting song. It's Billy Joel's second favorite song of his own. What does this mean for our boys, who, by the way, are connected today? And the fans, everybody's in the same feeling of this song. And where do you think they rank it? Let's start with Christopher Bonanos in his 2015 New York Magazine article.
2: I'm going to guess that it's in like the pretty good, like the higher range, but not very, very high. So I'm going to say 39.
1: Yeah, you'd be way off. I tried to give you the the hint by everybody being on board. Yeah, we're fooled by this because I'm, I'm just going to say I I really like the song. And if it's Billy Joel's second favorite song, no, Christopher Bonanno has it at 92. Glenn Gamboa has it at 85 and the fans rank it at 94. So everybody's in the same category. I think they've just forgotten about it. And this I don't know how you feel about it, but uh, I'd, I remember this song completely. I remember enjoying it when it first came out a lot, not even knowing it was a Christmas song because I'm an idiot. Don't pay attention except for the first <laughs> line. And I I loved it. I loved re-listening to it. I'm really getting into this song again.
2: I like the song, but I feel like I'm skewed so much by knowing that Billy Joel himself calls this his second favorite that I kept listening, like hoping to find something that would like really spark in me. Like, oh, yes, of course. This is really one of his greatest songs of all time. And I don't feel that way. I just enjoy it. So I don't know I would put it in the middle for myself somewhere it's just uh but it's good I like it's a, it's a fun song for sure.
1: Yeah, I'm with you. That's you know once I found out it was his second favorite song, I think I was doing the exact same thing. I'm like, "Well, where what are we getting from this that this is his second favorite song?" But I think this happens with a lot of musicians. You'll find, you know, one of their favorites is a definite obscure song that they just like. Maybe he likes it because he feels hey, I never did one of those Christmas albums. As you know, from in doing this research, I didn't realize that Columbia Records had asked him to do a Christmas album. And he specifically said in declining that Christmas albums are, quote, the last refuge of the creatively bankrupt. (laughs) What a jerk. Yes. (laughs) But then, uh, which is rude to do to anybody that's done a Christmas album before. (laughs) But he's also got a, it's an interest, you know, he's right in a way. You know, why, you know, if you if you don't have it, sometimes you do a you sell out and you do a Christmas album, unless, of course, you're Mariah Carey and you write the greatest Christmas song of all time. So if you can pull that off, which he probably could have, he probably could have rivaled Mariah Carey in his greatness because this is what he does. It's a little disappointing that he never wrote an original Christmas song because that is his wheelhouse.
2: Right, he definitely could have gotten a pretty good hit out there, I think. And a lot of artists try that every time you know November December comes around. There's some hey, maybe this will be the new big Christmas song.
1: Uh, He never did it. No, he never did it, and it's so you know we have this one, and it's kind of funny that no one ever plays it at Christmas time. I mean, you never hear it because it's not it's not Christmassy. There's no bells. There's no those uh, sleigh bells or anything. There's no there's no Christmas theme except. The fact that it is a Christmas theme song, it revolves around a Christmas tree. And I guess, I mean, it's not supposed to revolve around a couple getting together at Christmas, but technically it is. The music video really says nothing about what the song actually means, but I loved it. Oh, my God. Billy Joel, I know for a fact, hates this video. Really? (laughs) Yes. He felt very bad that he made it so goofy. It's so but slapstick. It's so slapstick. But for fans like us, I'm so glad this video exists and that this guy really does truly have a sense of humor. And it's so funny. If you're a Billy Joel fan, it's the greatest gift you could ever get. So it's a it's a great Christmas gift from Billy Joel that this exists in our lives, that they made a video for a song that was never released. Rarely. I don't think ever played on the radio. So, you know, where do they even say, hey, let's make a video for this? It's it's odd. I have no idea.
2: It's a good question. Why did this become a video? And that they obviously put a lot of time into. It. It's a complicated video. It's got a lot of sight gags. It totally misses the mark of what the song feels like.
1: Yeah. Yes, it does. And it, yet it doesn't matter. <laughs> it's like, I mean, we could we could we'll talk about two separate things in the sense of what this song is about, but there's the video completely misses the mark. And yet I couldn't be happier that it exists. Uh, I love the fact that the girl that he's waiting for is black. Yeah, that
2: for was... 1982. That's pretty uh, right? revolutionary. You notice they never video.
1: kiss. I don't know whether that was. Uh,
2: that's probably or... Elizabeth. That's probably her being like, don't you dare kiss that model in your video.
1: Yeah, but it wasn't. They were over at this point. No.
2: Uh, they were at the edge of being over. I don't know the exact well, timeline of when this was filmed. They have divorced in '82, so this was
1: still. Uh, I actually thought maybe there was. I mean, they, I, unfortunately, as uh, horrible as it sounds, th- that just wasn't a thing. Where you know you could, you know, I mean, before you know, Kirk and O'Hara did it in Star Trek. It just uh, well, was that was well
2: before this video, but we know that MTV yeah. wasn't playing black artists at this right. time. So, yeah, it could have been a thing like, let's just have you guys kind of snuggle at the end, but not actually like which, make out,
1: which is actually better. It's so cute. It's like I get a better feeling about them snuggling. Maybe he even knows nobody wants to see me make out with anybody. Uh, you know, yeah, Billy
2: like, Joel is not a sex symbol. So, yeah, yeah, no one ever wants to see him kiss anybody. And I'm glad that we didn't. I was kind of getting about to be creeped out when I saw that it was getting towards that point. <laughs>
1: yeah. And yet I wanted it to happen because he looks so cute in that suit. I love that he's wearing a jacket and tie. She looks great. It's oh, it's such a a fun video. If you guys, if you haven't seen it, you probably haven't. Wait till you see it. You're gonna love it. I wrote down all the things that happen to him. It's like all these mishaps and, like you say, slapstick. First of all, I have to wonder why she's downtown in a porno area. Well, it's funny because she's on. They show her on
2: Forty Second Street and Fifth Avenue, which is like. Basically, like Times Square ish area. So, but, yeah, it's like, but it's clearly not New
1: York. Those signs aren't New York. Yeah,
2: They use the worst sign. It's supposed to be New York. They use New York Street signs are green. Everyone knows this. And you could easily get a prop that looks like a New York Street sign. And instead, it's just like a, a five foot tall pole with a white sign on it. It looks like they just made it some high school musical.
1: But is it supposed to be New York? I, that's, I just assumed yeah, it's it was gotta somewhere be. else. I think it's got to be New York. Why is she walking in that section of town? Why is she walking past the pink pussycat lounge? Uh, why she's walking past. I thought she was a stripper at first. I thought that was the gag, especially since he cleans up those porno mags before she comes over.
2: It could be. It could be that. I mean, there's a lot we could analyze about this music video. I feel like this should be a college course. I I didn't analyze it. Well, maybe we should describe the video just really briefly. So people get this whole sense of it. So Billy Joel's at home waiting for his date. It's like Christmas time. He's waiting for his date or girlfriend to come over. She's going from wherever she is in the city to visit him at his place. And they both have a lot of mishaps. And even though he's trying to make the night perfect, all these things keep going wrong in his apartment and for her also on her walk.
1: Right. That's right. And so first, his fireplace explodes. (laughs) He puts a log (laughs) on the flyer. The fireplace explodes. The mirror and the bookshelves collapse. Then the record collection falls down. I was trying to look at some of the albums he has there, but I couldn't tell. Yeah, me too. It's very curious to see if he has like his favorite albums up there, you know. Because I want to show everybody I listen to The Doors, or it's like twenty versions of Cold Spring Harbor. <laughs>
2: <laughs> he's like, we don't need this crap. We could. It's okay if these break. Don't worry about it.
1: <laughs> then he's then he tears out the telephone because that's part of the song lines. Yeah. Then he, the blind. He's looking for her outside the blinds, and then the blinds come down. Then he falls over ice that he had dropped previously when he was filling the ice bucket and he drops a cake. (laughs) I don't know what he was planning with this girl. (laughs) Why is there cake? It's a very sad looking cake. Then he's on a wobbly chair while he's hanging an ornament and the Christmas, and he falls into the Christmas tree. Then while he's walking around trying to get out of the Christmas tree, it looks like the Christmas tree is moving by itself. So the neighbors call the cops (laughs) but it is funny. He's in that Christmas tree for a while and it's all lit up and stuff. So it is a great gag. Then Billy throws the wine into the fire and picks up a burnt log and puts that in the ice bucket. And he, and they made sure that they hadn't taken out the cork out of the wine yet because then he sits down and the chair falls over as she enters the door. And then the wine in the fireplace ignites the cork. Which goes into the picture on the mantle of her face, and then everything explodes. <laughs> <laughs> it was it was pretty great, and of course those scenes of the bad acting where they're looking all over the place. And the yeah, place, oh, that those, the acting in
2: that is so bad.
1: It's so bad, but it's like it's it's kind of a dream for us for the fans. I mean, that's that's what this video is. It's a complete fan video. It doesn't mean anything. It it has nothing to do with the song. And it's just fun. And you're like, it's young Billy Joel and he looks good and he's cool. And the fact and and you know what the best part of the video is? They don't go to him singing the song at a piano or with the band. I've never seen a video like this in my life where they completely commit to the gag and never cut away from it. This is very rare. Well, especially for of that time. 1982. Right, of that time. Yeah. Yeah. yeah he was- right. 1982 they made this video. I mean, that is seriously when I told you about pressure and and the fact that he was all on board with this, he was really all on board with this. I mean, to make a video of a song that's never going to come out knowing full well, this is never going to be released. Maybe maybe he was pushing for it to be released since it is his second favorite song. Th- maybe this is the clear indication of why he liked the song so much. This never happened again. Uh, with a video, with a song that wasn't released to anybody.
2: Yeah, there must have been some discussion of this being a holiday single or something like that. And so he probably thought MTV will play this. This It's a really fun video. Why wouldn't they keep playing it? I'm Billy Joel. I'm putting out a really funny video. I have this song that I think is great. And everyone else told him basically, uh, yeah, you're kind of on your own here with this one, Billy.
1: So if he released the album in September, And I don't know how the timeline works in the sense of this video, because he released in September at Allentown and Pressure came out, I guess, over the summer. Maybe he did this in time. So it came out around December, which would make sense. It is a Christmas themed. It's a very Christmas themed video. And it's in that sense, it's great because the song is completely Christmas themed, but has no christmas thing to it he mentions that putting the christmas tree uh what is it the choral choral music christmas Uh, lights
2: and christmas tree those are like the three kind of mentions that he puts right
1: turn on all the christmas lights because baby's coming home tonight (laughs) that's weird (laughs) i can hear footsteps in the street turn the choral music higher pile more wood upon the fire that should make the atmosphere complete i like
2: it yeah but yeah it's like a song basically just he always says it's about a reunion about like a long long-term relationship how you kind of split apart from each other for periods of time and then when you get back together you try to rekindle it but with christmas as the backdrop which makes me feel like this is the die hard
1: of christmas songs oh my god perfect you're completely right right the controversy has always been is die hard truly a christmas movie i think any man will tell you we believe it is but right you could totally make a case like no it just takes place at christmas but isn't that the fun of the amazing Die Hard, there is a connection, of course, because of that stupid Big Man on Mulberry Street. But uh, let's not go there. <laughs> I brought it up myself. But oh, by the way, the magazines on the table—his sexy magazines, his men magazines. One's called Men Only, and the other one—and good for Billy Joel in 1982—is called Over Twenty-One. Yeah, nice Billy. Because most of those magazines were barely legal. Or or eighteen, just eighteen. Those were the names of the magazine. So good for him, figuring years from now, even eighteen will seem creepy.
2: Yeah, good for yeah. him as a thirty-three-year-old making this video that he didn't go for the ooh. Let's get these sixteen-year-old magazine in here.
1: Yeah, exactly. Not never. Also, maybe even thinking years from now, somebody will be able to pause this and look at the magazines in high definition and be able to read the cover so I better make sure
0: (laughs) everything
2: will be computers every video I ever made every live performance will be on a thing called YouTube I'm telling you
1: guys (laughs) just like we tried to figure out the game show uh things yeah
2: right the misspellings on the game show his interests Uh, it is fun
1: what song was that pressure oh it was pressure that's right yeah wow that's funny yeah he was really making good videos just in 1982 those that was that was fun
2: this one's, he it's he so probably good. paid that director guy for like a full year, and he was like, well, you're on retainer, so I'm just do. let's just do a couple more videos.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's good. Also, um, Alexa Ray did confirm. You had mentioned last week when we did She's Got Away. We were talking about, wait, this is about his wife again, because I didn't think the timeline matched up, but it is. Alexa Ray confirmed it. She says it's a projection of love that isn't there. It's a mature love song that he's, he says, but then she said on a serious XM um, she, or she has a serious XM radio show that she confirmed that is about his first wife.
2: Yeah, right. And Billy also has said that at times where it's like he was just trying to, even though the love wasn't there anymore, he was still romanticizing like what they used to have, which is so he was trying to like give it one last shot, I guess, to make this kind of thing work.
1: Yeah, and here's, a, here's Alexa's uh, best quote ever. She says, there's a little bit of darkness on every song of the nylon curtain. I mean, we know there's a lot of darkness in some of it, but then even a song like this definitely still has a little bit of darkness to it.
2: Well, you have two things in his life that are negative. You have his marriage ending and then you have John Lennon, one of his heroes, having just died. So he has like these two musically and personally. uh, They're both influencing that album a lot. It was also interesting that Alexa Ray said that Billy always says that Nylon Curtain is his favorite album.
1: Yeah, it's clear. I mean, obviously, Nylon Curtain, it's funny because I think if he had gone on and done more, he might have said River of Dreams only because that was clearly a personal out the way, the direction he went, the Shelter Island, all that kind of stuff. Maybe the album's not that great, but with the end song and everything, you know, I bet you the Nylon Curtain and River of Dreams might be his favorites, even though he would probably never say River of Dreams. But clearly, we know the Nylon Curtain is his most personal favorite album now that he's even mentioned that this is his second favorite song of all time, which is uh, really out there.
2: It's unbelievable, really, because his number one song, he says, is Scenes from an Italian restaurant. And that song has so much else going for it that he could give it points for. Like, it's a huge fan favorite. It's his most epic kind of thing. There's a lot of things where, where even if he didn't really feel like Scenes was his very, very favorite, he would still say, but also it's so popular and also it's this and also it's that this song has nothing going for it besides <laughs> that Billy just likes it. And it still makes it to number two, which means it really might be objectively for him. His number one song. That,
1: I was thinking that too. Yes. As you were saying that. Yeah. It might be his number one song because he's just saying scenes. Cause that's what everybody wants to hear. Good point.
2: Yeah. And it, it, it really blows my mind. I really, I, I like the song, but it, come on, man. Wow. I'm, I'm missing something here, I guess.
1: Well, he was also thinking when he wrote this song, what do I follow good night Saigon with now, fortunately at this time you flip over the second side. I, this is my, I think this is before CDs, I think,
2: or was this I the mean, one I, that was like the first one he put out on CD?
1: One, one of them is the first uh album to ever be put out on CD. Is it this one or
2: yeah. Or was it like a glass houses? Like after release, it might've,
1: I don't know. One one of Billy Joel's albums is the first one to ever be put out on CD, I think. Or was it Springsteen? I can't remember. No, it was,
2: it was Billy. It was one of the things like Sony put out like eight albums as like the initial CDs. And this was and one of Billy's was one of them. I think it was Glass Houses. Well,
1: I, listen, I mean, uh, I don't think CDs existed yet in the sense of buying them as a normal person because I had this on album and I had a record player at college. OK, so it was definitely bought as an album. So you're definitely still in a rock and roll kind of mind thinking, how do we start the second side? I mean, obviously that's not a thing anymore these days, you know, so you, so you're lucky you finish with good night Saigon. So you don't really have a a song to follow it, but you're assuming also as an artist, people are going to flip over the other side and start listening. So that was the issue he was having. He said, it's like an elephant stomp. So he he needed something a little bit more, you know, the album is sad so i guess he needed something a little bit more and he was thinking in that term he said he wrote this right after pressure and the and he made it very clear he was trying to sing like stevie winwood
2: yeah and i it's funny because i always think there's other songs he does where he sounds more like steve winwood than this one but specifically I mean, he mentions like the turn on the christmas lights verse where he's really giving it his his winwood which he always says is just a white guy doing ray charles you mentioned when billy talks about how uh he needed something to lift up after Goodnight Saigon, which he mentions in this 1982 interview with some British guy. And I thought that interview was so ridiculous because that interviewer is such a dick. Oh, my God. Because He literally just says, like, eh, she's right on time. It doesn't really fit with the rest. And then Billy gives an explanation. Well, Goodnight Saigon was kind of a downer. I needed something to lift it up. And then the guy
1: still goes, eh, it doesn't really fit in with the rest. Alan, I wrote that exact same. That guy was the biggest dick. And Billy was so polite. First of all, he called it the wrong name. He goes, All right, so we're talking about right on time. And Billy goes, No, it's it's called She's Right on Time. Oh yes, yes. And then and then, <laughs> and then he goes, but right, it doesn't really is this an old song? Because it doesn't really fit on the album. No, no, I just wrote it. It's completely new. <laughs> right, right. Do you ever see Notting Hill, my favorite movie of all time besides Clueless? I've seen parts of it. There's a guy. This fucking brilliant. This uh, guy who directed this movie, uh, Richard Curtis. A, they, you know, he works in a travel bookshop. A travel bookshop. That's Hugh Grant's character. Works in a travel bookshop. And there's a guy, a British guy, who always comes in and says, "Do you have, do you have anything by Dickens?" And he goes, "No. This is a travel bookshop." And he goes, um, "Do you have the new Grisham thriller?" No, because it's a travel bookshop. Oh, and he's just sitting there going, I guess, right, right. Anything by Winnie the Pooh? You go, Martin, your customer. Do you have any books by Dickens?
0: No, no, I'm afraid um, we're a travel book shop. Uh, we only sell travel books. Oh, right. How about the new John Grisham thriller? Well, no, because that's uh, that's a novel too, isn't it?
1: All oh, right. Have you got Winnie the Pooh? Martin, your customer. Yeah. And, then, and then there's a callback to this guy at the end, which is unbelievable. Where he's you know, it's the final ending where he's, you know, Julie Roberts professing his love. And the guy walks in, you hear the bell and he goes, no, don't even think about it. Get the fuck out.
2: <laughs>
1: but uh, this is what reminds. I feel like it's this guy interviewing him. And he's just like, because then he goes, well, it's a Christmas song? But I can't tell whether she actually comes home or not. And, and he's like, well, she 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 does. Finally, that she's like, right, right. <laughs> this guy is a moron. How did Brilliant. he get that job? And this was a,
2: supposedly a promotional interview. It was like a very long interview about the album to help, I guess promote sales. So this <laughs> yes. guy should have been like on his side.
1: I know he was completely like it was it was almost like that joke I was making uh but when I did that Q&A for the, the the bedwetter, where I was like, did you or did you not vote yes on Proposition 12? <laughs> like he's, he's grilling Billy
2: yeah. Joel about it. You know. Billy Joel looks to his PR person. I thought I was going to get softballs.
1: <laughs> right. You know, you wrote Good Night Saga, but you've never been in Vietnam. No, but I, that's what, what Come on, man. <laughs> I hear your marriage is very troubled right now. <laughs> Boy, that guy's good. <laughs> yeah, what an ass. I'm so glad you thought that, too. I, I didn't think I was crazy. It seems pretty obvious as soon as you turn it on. You know what I like about this song at the beginning? I believe it's a, it sounds like it's a harpsichord.
2: Yeah, I love it. Love that little harpsichord flourish in the beginning and then how it closes the song and then also in that instrumental break in the middle.
1: I love it. I love harpsichord music. I always have, I I guess, because I like that time period of like another revolutionary time period. She's right on time. Yeah, I love it. I love that he plays the harpsichord. I think in the live version, he plays the harpsichord the whole time.
2: It's a cool sound. I mean, it's very Baroque feeling. You know, it's like Johann Sebastian Bach kind of. And I guess maybe for Billy, that gave it a Christmassy feel to it because it has like a church music kind of sound. I guess. Just a little. It
1: still doesn't sound Christmassy.
2: He gave it like, here's here's three seconds of Christmassy sound. And then the song starts, you know, with that noise.
1: So did you see him play this in 2005 on the Today Show? Yeah. With Mark Rivera on the guitar.
2: It was topsy turvy world. It was opposite day.
1: Yeah. I mean, what I didn't even know. I mean, obviously, he's a musician. He could play it all, but somebody must have been sick. I mean, right? <laughs> that or guy? he was, he was like, the look, guitar. there's no
2: horns on this one, but I want you to be on the TV appearance. So
1: hold this guitar. Oh, well, that was crazy. It must have been, again, it must have been Christmas time because 2005, he's playing She's Right on Time on the Today Show. It must be Christmas time.
2: Right. Cause otherwise like what are the circumstances like why he would pull this song out of all songs?
1: Yeah. Maybe. I don't know what he was promoting. Maybe the garden stuff, but uh, yeah. Why would he pull this song out? Except that it's his favorite, I guess, now that we know what I mean. All right. Alon, I mean, what live wise. Okay. I mean, does he only play it at Christmas time? We've seen some live performances at the garden, but they all seem to be in December. But again, now that we know it's his favorite song. Did he play it all through the Nylon Curtain Tour every every uh, every show or?
2: No, listen to this. He never ever played it on the Nylon Curtain Tour. He never played it live until 1999. That's Can you believe weird.
1: that? No, that's so weird.
2: He never even gave it a shot. Like, well, maybe people will like this because it's my favorite song. He never even tried it until 99. Then he did it four times on the 2006 tour, but didn't stick after that. And that was like non holiday shows. It was just in the middle of the year. Oh, but. In the last several years, he's since like 2014 or 15, like basically since the residency started, he plays it almost every December at MSG.
1: Right. Well, you know what he
2: did this year also.
1: You know what, then, Alon? That's probably why it's his second favorite song since he gave that interview in 2017 where he said this was his second favorite song. You know, I think that happens to a lot of musicians. He kind of rediscovered it. It's like me putting the hidden gems on the list. I think he rediscovered this song. And said, boy, I really am enjoying this song. And the fact that he plays it sporadically only on Christmas, only in December, he's probably itching to play it more often, too. But then that and then that kind of psychs him up about the song, probably.
2: Yeah, but it's kind of funny because like even though he rediscovers it, he still only played it 13 times total. And you'd think and this this just goes to show what Billy Joel thinks of his fans. Like he does these shows for the fans. He, he didn't think to himself, well, this is my favorite. So I'm just going to start playing it every show for me. And maybe they'll kind of learn to like it. He doesn't do that. He knows what the fans want to hear. He doesn't try to force this down their throats. They Maybe he doesn't like the response he normally gets from it when he does play it.
1: Oh, that's good, Alon. That's that's smart.
2: If this was my favorite, if I was you know doing a, a set and I had a favorite joke, I guess. Well, I don't know. If the crowd wasn't laughing a lot at it, I guess right. I would have to say I'm not going to do it. Right. But I feel no, like with that's... music, it's different. You could just do it.
1: Yeah, we're going to clap anyway. We do know he does cater to the fans. Otherwise, he probably would stop playing lots of songs. We would probably see if he was doing it for himself and he should, because he's the man and it would still sell out. He should just do a week of shows or just once out of this month and say, listen, this show's just for me. I'm only going to play the songs I want to play. Who wouldn't go? He'll still get everybody to go. I'm not going to do the usual. You're not going to hear scenes from an Italian restaurant. It would be cool if he put it out there and just said, I'm doing a completely different set. And then next month, I'm going back to the ones everybody wants to hear. He'd totally be able to get away with that and everybody would be into it. In fact, he could he could make triple his money by doing a second residency spot once a month and doing it that way or. He could do it. He could alternate so he could have a good time or something. I don't know. I mean, he could totally get away with that. And we would we would totally sign up. You and I, who, who or me, who hasn't seen a residency show yet, would go first to the alternative one. It's a brilliant
2: idea. Billy, really, really should think about something like this. Like, yeah, you could brand it like this one's for me. Something like that. Like, And it's just he does whatever he wants. It could be his the covers he likes to sing. It could be some of these hidden gems that he likes that no one else cares for. Wouldn't that It'll be, be great. fun?
1: Certainly would like to see that before he dies. But we got to figure a guy that's only thinking about meatball subs probably has no intention of doing anything different, but helicoptering to the place, doing the songs, having a beer and having his clams when he gets home. <laughs> and I get that, Billy. I am just as lazy. <laughs> yeah. It's funny to be lazy and then perform in front of 20,000 people once a month. <laughs> I'm so lazy. Oh, I guess I'll do this.
2: He's like a bear (laughs) hibernating and then he can, you know, eat some salmon and then go back (laughs) and hibernate again.
1: Oh, you're so right.
2: Well, David, it's time for the trivia portion of the show. Do you have a stumper for me?
1: (laughs) Yeah, I I got one. I got one. It's not very good, but it, it, it was the most obvious of once that that had to be said. I'm mad at myself because it's not it's not a lot of laughs, but it, it, in the end, it's the biggest laugh of all. <laughs> so. All right. As we know, Alon,
0: <laughs> uh-huh.
1: as we know, Billy, <laughs> Billy Joel vowed never to put out a Christmas album. So he made a Christmas themed song and she's right on time. Of course, he came out of retirement to ironically record an additional horribly themed Christmas song in 2007 with Christmas in Fallujah. What song is the closest Billy came to a possible Christmas song that he wrote in 1971? Why is this funny? <laughs> well, because when you get the answer, it'll, it'll be obvious okay. and funny. <laughs> a possible Christmas song,
2: 1971. Is there like a pun to one of the titles of these. No, cycles?
1: no, it's uh, I'll, the hint is, it's a legendary Billy Joel A to Z song.
0: <laughs> oh, December song. <laughs> oh,
2: thank you for mentioning that. We should have do- definitely been talking about that all episode.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> December <the>
1: first- song. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I was like, I. I hate this question, but if I don't do it, everybody will be disappointed. <laughs> of course. I don't know why that makes... I guess it makes me laugh thinking of us, and I know our listeners get it, of the two of us in the audience with the signs and yelling it out. That's what makes it so funny because that'll probably never happen. That's us in the audience shouting out December song with signs is just like this music video. <laughs> <laughs> What would be great is,
2: so if we ever went to a December show, we know Billy would probably be playing She's Right on Time, and he'd preface it by saying, this is the only Christmas song I ever wrote, and then we'd be in the audience screaming out, what about December
1: song? (laughs) We'd be like the comic book guy, excuse me, Billy, but that is not true.
2: (laughs) It's just like this song also, because it's called December song, but never really mentions December.
1: No, he doesn't. So uh, that's the closest we've ever gotten I even had some of the lyrics for you. I thought maybe you would get it, but you—I worded it the other way. <laughs> you got it right away. Maybe <laughs> what happened. Yeah. Wait, read the lyrics to me. Uh, I may be going. This is a, the lyrics to December song. Yeah, yeah. I may be going nowhere, but I don't mind if she's there because it sounds a little like this song. It does. I yeah. I will wait in the shadows until you come to me. Uh, so it sounds a lot like this song Until you
0: come to me <laughs>
1: and then i it's funny i was listening to the song for a second again i'm like no no no. i can't i can't even <laughs> it's so bad just the way it's recorded and everything it's depressing <laughs>
2: we should ask paul lauren to do a revamped version of december song
1: i think we're gonna have to in december that'll be for yeah. our special christmas episode our special <laughs> christmas themed episode <laughs> oh my oh my Alan, right, Alon, do you have a trivia question for me?
2: Yeah, I do. Mine is not as fun as yours. But like you mentioned earlier this episode, Billy has called Christmas songs the last refuge of the creatively bankrupt. And yet some of his heroes, the Beatles, have put out many different Christmas theme songs, uh, especially as solo artists. So my question is, which Beatle, as a soloist, uh, put out a Christmas song that charted the highest on the Hot 100?
1: That's a tough one. Because I feel like that Paul McCartney one, simply having simply having a wonderful Christmas time, even though it's not very good, it gets played a lot. But that happy Christmas, the, the, the war is over. The John Lennon one is, is a miracle of a Christmas song. And it's beautiful.
2: So that's a really you, interesting... you've narrowed it down. These are like the top two. So it's kind of like which one oh, of there's those there's a two? different one. No, I'm saying those two that you yeah, mentioned. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I'm trying to figure out. Oh, there's others, out. yeah. I mean, Ringo I'm trying to figure out, but, Album. But you
1: have a, a listing of, of which one charted higher, right? Yeah, I know
2: on the uh, okay, Hot 100 I'm, Billboard, which one I'm, of those two charted yeah, higher. Yeah, I'm trying to talk.
1: I know it's one of those two. I'm going to go with the Paul McCartney one. That's correct. Yeah, I had a feeling it might be, even though the John Lennon one's better, I had a feeling that Paul McCartney one, for some reason, charted better and was more popular, even though it shouldn't have been. Because it's not very good.
2: <laughs> yeah, the Paul McCartney song "Wonderful Christmas Time" peaked at number twenty-eight on the Billboard Hot 100. I think that was in 1980. And "Happy Christmas War Is Over" or "Happy" does he say Xmas when you say the title of that song? Oh, I don't know. It's written with an X. Anyway, "Happy Christmas War Is Over" peaked at number forty-two, but it was released I think in 1971. So pretty soon after John Lennon, you know, after the Beatles broke up, apparently it was his seventh post-Beatles single. So within like a year, he released a ton of stuff. So maybe it kind of just diluted the market for John Lennon stuff.
1: Oh, maybe that makes sense because the song is a miracle of existence. I mean, it really is one of the greatest Christmas songs of all time in the sense of its powerful message and its true Christmas theme to it and how it sounds beautiful and Christmassy. And it's really, really good. And it's so much better than the Paul McCartney song, even though, you know, we all like the Paul McCartney song, but it's it's not it's not a great paul mccartney song it's not a great christmas song the paul mccartney one
2: yeah and the john lennon one just stands it just goes to show how good it is that yoko ono couldn't ruin it
1: <laughs> exactly yeah it even starts with that right happy christmas yoko happy christmas john right i mean he she just couldn't couldn't get rid of her
2: <laughs> we still can't she's,
1: she's still kicking yeah yeah boy talk about the opposite of billy joel and uh talk about how you how you hate your fans Wow. That I don't get just, it. The fact that Yoko was involved with everything and that you got to listen to an album with every other song being Yoko songs. It's the exact okay. opposite of what we just said about Billy Joel totally catering to his fans.
2: Wow. That's a, that's, that's an it, interesting theory.
1: Fans wanted I, nothing of Yoko. She made everything unbearable. You can't listen to a full side of Double Fantasy. Are you, are you telling me that Yoko Ono is getting just scouted right now? <laughs> that is exactly what I am telling you. Yes
0: been just
2: <laughs> you've been yoko i was watching there's an Imagine documentary which is really fascinating about the recording of um, the Imagine album and yoko of course is like all throughout it and she'll be like whispering into the musician's ears like to do something a certain way and you can tell they probably are really annoyed by it but i gotta say like i think she had some good ideas and a lot of what turned into the final versions of those songs seemed to come from some of her
1: ideas it doesn't matter she just shouldn't have been there. John Lennon didn't need help. I guarantee Elizabeth Weber didn't whisper into Billy Joel. What if you did the song like this? John Lennon could have handled everything on his own without Yoko. Yeah. Well, Elon, do you have the nerve and the guts to do a parody, a Weird Elon parody, on Billy Joel's second favorite song of all time? Well, since this is his second
2: favorite song of all time, I thought I would actually do two different parodies today. Not long ones like last week where I think I did the entire song. Yes, you did. But <laughs> I originally I wrote one as I normally do, a little goofy. And then I thought this is Billy Joel is a Jewish guy doing a Christmas song. There should be a Hanukkah version of She's Right on Time. Excellent. So I wrote that, too. So I'll do I'll do the uh, I'll do the Hanukkah one first.
1: OK, I was going to say do the Hanukkah one second.
2: Okay, I'll do it that. For with some that.
1: reason, I'm really I I I can't wait to hear what you have, what it's going to be called. And okay, so, yeah.
2: all right. So the the other one that I did, the original one that I wrote, is called Obi Wan Kenobi. I'm such a weird... <laughs> You'll get it when you get to the chorus. All so right, they, all how right. it makes sense,
1: which of course is relevant because they just started the new series, so.
2: Yeah, right. So uh, hot off the presses. (laughs) I just heard about this character just like last week. (laughs) He's one of these Star Trek guys.
0: (laughs) Hiding out on Tatooine. In a cave is where he's been. Luke Skywalker calls him Old Ben. Then a droid gives him a message. You're our only hope, Leia says. It's time to be a Jedi once again. You waited 20 years and now your time is here. Obi Wan can obey. you're Obi Wan. Obi Wan can obey. you're Obi Wan. <laughs> hey now.
1: Well, you know what? That was great. Because, well, for me, I'm always going to like all the Star Wars references and stuff. But that was, and you were right. The Obi Wan worked. I was like, he doesn't know what he's doing. <laughs> oh, that totally worked. I, I, that might be my favorite one of all time.
2: Oh, good. <laughs> I was just thinking as I was finishing it that what I should have done also at the end is instead of that harpsichord music, have it be Chewbacca's growl.
0: <laughs> Are
1: you sure you want to ruin this great one with the Jewish one now? Yeah, I, I do. <laughs> oh, yeah, I do. <laughs> yeah. Damn it, I do. All right.
2: Okay, so here's the Hanukkah version.
0: Hi. Blessings on menorah lights. The oil lasted for eight nights. Eat some latkes, open up some gifts. Watch the little dreidel turn while all of the candles burn. That should make the holiday complete. Even as fun as this is, it's not as fun as Christmas. We're Jews on Hanukkah. It's just all right. We're Jews on Hanukkah. It's just all right.
1: Another child would be a blessing on your house. I got to say, that was really good. (laughs) There were two excellent ones today. I think Billy Joe would be very happy with these. And if you watch that video, why wouldn't he like these? Yeah, (laughs) he's totally going to have a
2: video where uh, he's lighting the menorah and then the lights make the drapes go on fire. And then he's tossing dreidels out the window.
1: Well, you and I should do that for our listeners for Hanukkah this year. Yeah. Let's do it. (laughs) The slapstick Hanukkah version. Exactly. It's not a horrible plan. Those were really good, Alon. Thanks.
2: Well, folks, that was She's Right on Time. If you like our podcast, be sure to go to Apple and give us five stars. We release new episodes every Tuesday and Thursday, so make sure you hit subscribe so you don't miss a single one. Follow us on social media, at Billy Joel A to Z, and give us some feedback. Have you ever accidentally thrown a wine bottle into a fireplace? Oh, yeah. Who hasn't? (laughs) Have you ever seen Mark Rivera play guitar? Does this feel like a good follow-up to Goodnight Saigon? Is Billy crazy for thinking this is his second best song? Should Billy write a true Christmas song? And were you excited to hear a reference to
0: December song?
1: Yes! Woo!
2: Until next time, I'm Alan Altman. I'm Dave Juskow. And this is Billy Joel A to Z.